0: And my last number six, five, zero eight, four equal housing lender. You were hear Some of my commercials and think to yourself, eh, that sounds too good to be true. That's probably malarkey. Here's the deal, man. It's real.
1: And the main one I list to is WHW. Um, I think Tony Schiavone's, uh, hilarious, uh, him and Conrad together are uh, yeah, they're, they're very enjoyable to listen to going back and forth and, uh. It gets me through on my commute and everything. Listening to the podcast still going on. Uh, we actually uh, was approached by another company, and they took about three months and still wasn't completed yet. And I said, I told my wife, I was like, "Listen, we've got to do something different. You know, well, let's reach back out to Conrad and Thompson. Let's look out to First Family Mortgage, see what uh, what they can do for us." So I called Diane. Uh, I had previously talked to her, told her what was going on. She was great. She uh, took down, you know, all the information we had uh, and then started the process. And, you know, I told the other company to hit the bricks and uh, um, went with you guys. So, uh, it's, it's been a journey, but uh, it, was a, it was a great experience with her. She did a great job. We were able to get the new appraisal in here and actually it worked out for the best. I mean, my house ended up appraising for about 30,000 more than it originally had. Um, so, you know, for me, that's great. Um, I was able to... Do my loan with you guys, and still have about fifty thousand dollars more equity in my house than what I owe. You can tell they really enjoy what they're doing, and they're really passionate about it. And so, for me to, to be able to go through a family and do this, I know it's a, you know they're making a ton of money and they're they're doing great. But it's uh, it's just nice to see you know a family kind of doing their business. And if I can contribute to that, I would you know would really want to that. If you've got credit card debt, if you've got any type of Debt over your head that you need to take care of. You want to look at refinancing your house. You want to look at buying a new house. There's no better company than Save with Conrad. Go to the website, fill out the form, they'll get back to you really fast, and they're going to make things so much easier for you in your life.
0: We're routinely helping wrestling fans around the country just like you save tens of thousands of dollars. How much can you save? Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Give the ultimate gift to the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season. You've asked for it, and I can't believe this is real, but now you can give the gift of ad-free shows. Head over to adfreegift.com now to purchase an ad-free show subscription for a friend or loved one. Simply click on gift a subscription up at the top and choose a plan. Plug in their email address, and just like that, your gift is on its way to their inbox. In my opinion, you simply will not find a better value in wrestling this holiday season early ad free access to all seven of my podcasts plus video starting at just $9 a month. We've also got tons of exclusive bonus content on top of it for just 29 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Get over with that special someone in your life by giving the gift of ad free shows. Visit adfreegift.com right now to get started. That's adfreegift.com. Your one-stop shop for the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season is adfreegift.com.
2: Hello, this is Paul Bromwell, and welcome back to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, how are you this
3: week? Ho, 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 ho! That's how I am, man. It's Christmas week. Get to spend time with family, all kinds of exciting stuff going on. Could not be better. Hope everybody's enjoying their, their holiday week.
2: It's crazy to think that we're already here, already at the end of the year. Uh, I think you're about to spend some time at the Connor Addison, according to what we heard last week, right?
3: Yeah. Heading up uh, to spend New Year's Eve with the Thompson clan. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, When I say Thompson clan, I'm including not only immediate family, but friends who are just like family. So it should be a good time.
2: Yeah, man. I'm sure everybody listening has got their New Year's Eve plans in motion. It's going to be a lot of fun wrapping up the year. And uh, safe travels to you and Lori as you uh, enjoy time with the Thompsons and then head all the way back home. I heard last week you're doing it. You're driving, man, right? You guys are on
3: the road, road tripping it. We love road trips to begin with. We, we just do always have since we first met. That was our thing. And now, because flying is so tough anyway, especially over the holiday season, it's just ridiculous. And we've got a dog, man. I'm not leaving my dog home on Christmas, dogs got to come with us wherever we go, which means, and I would never put my dog in baggage on a plane. That's ridiculous. So we just pack up the truck and hit the road and enjoy every second of it.
2: Man, that sounds like a a lot of fun. Sounds like a a lot of miles in the car, but I'm sure you guys will make the best of it and have a good time. Uh, Speaking of good times though, Eric, I want to transition because all we're hearing about, I'm seeing it all over social. It's the hot news. It's the kickoff to 2022 and that's what you got going on with Conrad and Jeff Jarrett in St. Louis in January, man. Talk a little bit about that live show. It sounds like it's going to be a can't miss event.
3: I cannot I, I love doing these live shows. They're so much fun. And and I I just have I don't know, man. I have a blast on uh, up there on stage, and I—I I guess maybe it's because there's still part of me that loves performing, and that's while it's not the same kind of performance that I—I I, I spent 30 years doing. Mm. It's still fun. It's still up there. You're making people laugh. You're getting reactions, and—and and I just enjoy it. And now to be able to do it with Jeff, because there's a million questions I have for Jeff. You know, Jeff and I have known each other a long time, and we've worked together uh, for a long time but the relationship between Jeff and I has always been friendly and professional, but we've never had one of those sit down over a cup of coffee or a sandwich kind of conversations. And, and there's just a lot of questions I have for Jeff, and I, I can't wait. I, I mean, I, I really want to explore the Vince Russo, Jeff Jarrett to Hulk Hogan, you know, screw job for bash at the beach. Um, I, I want to get Jeff's side of that story. We've heard, we've heard my side, you know, you, we've all heard Russo's side. I want to hear Jeff's side because he was right in the middle of it. So that'll be a great opportunity for us to have that kind of a conversation for the first time, since we've known each other for the last 25 or 30 years, wherever it's been.
2: Man, absolutely. I got to see Jeff down at Russell Cade. And one of his first comments was, you know what, Pauly, I've really enjoyed doing some of the stuff we've done with Eric together on adfreeshows.com shows.com, some of the bonus stuff. And, uh, I said, well, it sounds like you're going to get to continue doing that with the live show. It's January 29th. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. Make sure it's at the St. Louis South Broadway Athletic Club. It is the same day as Royal Rumble. Now, listen, it's 3 to 5 p.m. It's 2.4 miles away from the Royal
3: Rumble venue. And that you kind of, can walk there when you're done. Yes. You can come to our show, have a great time. I don't know if they're going to be serving adult beverages there or not. I would imagine they are, but even if they're not, you know, you can come to the show, have a great time, get yourself in the mood, see a couple of legends, Hall a of Famers, of WWE Hall of Famers. Come on now, I've never referred to myself as a WWE <sighs> Hall of Famer. This is the first time. That's awesome. But yeah, you'll be able to get there and uh, and get yourself in the right mood for Royal Rumble, and then walk to the arena. You don't even have to mess around with parking. You can walk there.
2: You can't beat it. You can't beat it. Doors open for VIP 2 PM. And I'm telling you VIP is the way to go. You get the, The best seats, you get the special swag, pictures with the guys, autographs on whatever you want to bring. So if you have a belt, a picture, something that you'd like to bring along, bring it. They're going to sign it for you and all the stories that you can't hear on the podcast. And as Eric mentioned, all the things he wants to talk about, I'm sure Jeff will have some things up his sleeve as well. So again, it's ericandjefflive.com. And Eric, I don't know if you know this or not. All this Eric and Jeff But if you tried to on, if you try it on the internet, Jer, uh, Jeff and Eric live.com actually works too. So what? I think, yes,
3: Conrad. Bullshit. I may- Throwing <laughs> a flag. Bullshit. I agreed to do this for one reason and one reason only. And that is to promote myself, not Jeff Jarrett. I don't mind if Jeff is there. He can get the rub, right? I mean, I am me. Conrad's all about keeping both, all the
2: hosts happy on this one. I'm telling you, he's got (laughs) to
3: come on, man. I didn't know Uh,
2: that was in my contract, (laughs) both websites work, but we're here to talk about Eric and Jeff uh, live.com. So make sure you check it out. It's a can't miss event and take care of your, start your Royal rumble weekend off. Right. No, wait a a minute.
3: Before we leave this, this is important shit. All right because Jeff is on the show and clearly has some kind of an issue with the fact that it's the Eric and Jeff live show, not the Jeff and Eric show, but obviously that bothers Jeff to some degree, probably a large degree. So I have an opportunity here to talk to my fans here on the 83 weeks. And if you live in the St. Louis area within hundred miles, if you're listening to the, my voice anywhere in the, on the planet and you're going to be at Royal rumble you need to come to EricandJeffLive.com, wear some 83 week swag. So, as we're up there on the stage, we can look out at the sea of humanity and determine which <laughs> of those are there for Eric and who's there for Jeff. Get to it. I you love got time. It. Buy a shirt. Seriously, get an 83 week shirt. Boxofgimmicks.com. We're probably.
2: There you go. Box of Get your 83 week swag and show them who really brought you to the party. It was Eric Bischoff. Cause you're here listening to the show now, man. It's good. I thought it was hilarious though. Cause I'm listening to his show and it says, yeah, check us out. Jeff and Eric live.com. I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good stuff. So that is what that is. It's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, we are here to wrap up 2021 this week, Jer- uh, Eric, and it has been a wild one for sure. You were inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. We had a fun time looking back to the very beginning of the NWO. You and Conrad have talked outsiders. I was lucky enough to be a part of the message to Tony Khan, shut up and wrestle. It's just been a tremendous year for the show, Eric. <laughs> yeah,
3: we've, uh, <laughs> we've gotten some attention, haven't we? <laughs>
2: yeah. Lots of fun stuff going on, man. And uh, we're going to close it out in a big way talking about bill goldberg now when this show officially drops on the main feed it will be monday december 27th and that's going to be bill's 55th birthday so uh happy birthday from eric bischoff in 83 weeks bill mazel tough. there you go so let's jump right into it this week Eric's background at starcade 1998 goldberg's undefeated streak Officially ended at 173 and zero after 174 days as the champ. He loses to Kevin Nash after Scott Hall disguised as a ringside security guard made a run in and shocked Goldberg with a taser gun. So here we are. It's
3: 1999. Actually, actually, Paul, I do to correct you. Yeah. It was a cattle prod, I believe, wasn't it? Wasn't it like a long stick? It was,
2: but it had that taser-like effect, I guess. So yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. But that's a cattle prod. They use those uh, cattle prods are used as one would imagine to help um, herd or move cattle, um, particularly when they're in feedlots. You know, where they put all the cattle in there and they want to fatten them up before they go to market, and that's where you use them because you're in close proximity to them and you can't get a dog in there. So yeah, use a big cattle prod. Move them, move them doggies along.
2: So, so we shocked, we shocked Goldberg out of the title and, uh, 99 begins. You have the finger poke of doom, which by the way, you guys covered back. I think it was your second episode. You can check it out in the archives, but we're going to dissect this all from Goldberg's point of view today, Eric. And the talk has always been that Nash and Hall manipulated Goldberg into the spot. Eric, do you see it
3: that way from your chair? I don't know what that would mean. I mean, manipulated Goldberg into the spot and manipulated in what way?
2: Do you know? Just in terms of once he, he loses now, all of a sudden he's kind of on the outside. He's uh, Nash is the champion. You had the finger pointed doom and now he's kind of found himself in a, in a unique position. He's not at the top of the card necessarily as he once was. And, and there's a lot of talk online that Nash and Hogan are the re-
3: reasons behind that. Hmm. I don't think so. You know I, know, I know Hulk was a very, very big supporter of Bill Goldberg. In fact, you know, it, it, it was what it was. But one of the reasons I ultimately had such a difficult time with Goldberg um, was due in no small part to the fact that, you know, Hulk was in his ear and mm. kind of guiding him. And I understand that, you know. Hulk knew that Goldberg was special. Um, he also knew that Goldberg was Inexperienced in the wrestling industry. He'd never been in it. He was still new. And 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 unsure of himself in, in some respects. Not when it came to physicality, obviously. He was very confident in himself. But the business of the wrestling business is a treacherous one. Treacherous one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gamesmanship. There's mm-hmm. a lot of maneuvering. Always has been that way. And all kind of took Bill... I would say to a degree under his wing, including getting Hulk the same attorney that Hulk had Henry Holmes. And once Henry started managing bill or representing bill, I should say um, things got real tricky, real fast. And that's in no small part due to Hulk Hogan's influence on Bill Goldberg to help protect him. So I, I you, know, you know, this nefarious kind of scheming and planning As it relates to Bill Goldberg, at least by Hulk, I don't think so. Hulk would never have manipulated Goldberg into a situation that was not a good situation for Bill. I don't don't buy that, and I don't think Nash would either. Now, did they have? Were they in his ear? Of course. So was everybody else. By the way, that was one of the challenges that Bill had. Is no? You look at Bill Goldberg's. You know, when did Bill Goldberg come into WCW? I don't even know. Do you know? It uh, had 96. Yeah. So he goes from the NFL. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Do you know, take down notes here, Paul, everybody listening. I'm going to share some, some knowledge here to help enlighten the already enlightened audience here at 83 weeks around the world. But there are approximately just under 2 million high school football players give or take only about 6% of them end up making it to the NCAA to play in college of that 6% that made it to the NCAA and, and, and played college ball only one and a half percent less 1.3%. In fact, of those players make it to the NFL. Think about that. And Bill was one of those 1.3%, the elite of football, the NFL. Hmm. And the NFL is a completely different world. Football, NFL, college, high school. I don't know when Bill started playing football, probably as a very young kid. Football had been his entire life from childhood all the way through his adulthood, becoming an adult. That's the world that Bill knew. And that world is antithetical to professional wrestling. Professional wrestling is not a team sport. (laughs) You know, you listen to coaches and commentators talking about, you know, different athletes and team sports and, you know, being a team player and learning how to play in a team and knowing your role in that team Uh, on that team is is just as critical as the the physical game itself. Now you take Bill Goldberg, who excelled from childhood through those 2 million other players to be that elite of the elite to make it into the NFL. You play in the NFL. You drop out. you're, You're done with the NFL. Your football career is over. And where do you go? To professional wrestling. Everything that Bill had learned his entire life competitively was the exact opposite of the world of professional wrestling. And then you add the unique nature of the business. It's not strength, speed, footwork. It's all of that, but there's no, the, the contact is completely different. You're not trying to take your, your opponent out. You're not trying to flatten your opponent. You're trying to make it look like you are without hurting anybody. It's exactly the opposite of the NFL. So or football in general. So what I'm trying to point out is that here's a guy who spent his entire life excelling in 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 an almost unbelievable way. Just the fact that he made it into the NFL to me is a massive accomplishment. And 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 then to, to play on top of it, and now he's in professional wrestling, and he's a fish out of water. In many respects, I don't know how much of a wrestling fan Bill really was as a kid growing up. I don't know how familiar he was other than a passive awareness or knowledge of it. Now you throw him right into professional wrestling, which is weird in of itself to just go from that world to this world. That's an Mm -hmm. adjustment. It takes a while to make that transition, right? And not only does he come into WCW in 1996, but he rockets to the top of the card without any experience. That's tough on someone. So Bill, knowing what he didn't know, would listen to a lot of people. And it was frustrating for Bill because he didn't have enough base of knowledge and experience to really analyze what he was hearing and determine what was best for him. So it 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 was tough. And Bill made some great choices. You know, he did listen to some good advice from a lot of people. Um, but it was, it was frustrating nonetheless. And, uh, it made for an interesting working relationship. Let's put it that way. But if you put yourself in Paul's shoes, you know, if somebody said to you, Paul, uh, from this point forward, you, you, you obviously you've got a command of the English language, you know, how to read and write and all that, but from now on, you're going to have to write backwards. And Oh, by the way, you're gonna to have to read backwards. <laughs> I mean, it take you a while, right?
2: <laughs> a little, yeah, a little bit. Yep.
3: And that's where Bill Goldberg found himself. So, you know, and this all started with the, you know, did, did Nash and Hogan, you know, manipulate. Yeah. Google? Well, the part of it the- is no, I don't, I don't buy that, but there was a lot of people in Bill's here.
0: I hate Steven Singer with all the shipping delays and fulfillment issues expected for holidays. Christmas shopping has come earlier than ever. Luckily, Steven is giving every other jeweler out there. Another reason to hate him. Steven singer jewelers has the number one gift this holiday diamond stud earrings and Steven is fully stocked with the most beautiful best value real diamond studs anywhere choose a great pair of Anita diamond stud earrings for under $270 sound familiar well that's because it's the same price last year he's not jacking up prices like everyone else just the perfect price every single day No sales, no discounts, no BS. Steven's real diamond studs are flawless to the eye near colorless and come with his famous full value lifetime trade in guarantee. You can trade up your diamond studs anytime and receive exactly what you paid towards a new pair and with an unbeatable full 100 day, 100% money back guarantee, making it no risk for shopping early for holiday. Go now to I Hate always with fast and free shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's I Hate and, and
2: just for uh, background here, too, so Goldberg did start training in 96 to become a wrestler. He makes his debut in 97. Uh, but what I wanted to say here is Goldberg in the WWE DVD, The Rise and Fall of WCW, and this is where this comes from, made the comment that Hogan and Nash were playing their own little games against the wrestling world. And so, you know, we're not really sure what he necessarily meant by that. I don't, I don't think
3: Bill. I don't think Bill, you know if you had if you sat Bill down right now and asked him that question. I think yeah, yeah. you'd get a little different answer now that Bill's gotten a little more mature.
2: <laughs> Understood.
3: Well, Goldberg's working
2: on the top at some of the house shows against the Giant and Kevin Nash, and then it's announced that it's sold out. Goldberg's going to be taking on Scott Hall in a taser hung from the ceiling with a ladder match. That's a lot of stipulations here. Any recollection of this brainchild, Eric?
3: No, man, it's a bad one. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how I, I don't know how I, well, we moved from
2: the cattle prod. Now we've officially got to the taser. So it's, it's It's electrifying.
3: That's kind of embarrassing, but that was under my watch. I let that happen. As embarrassed as I am, I'd like to move on.
2: (laughs) And that's a (laughs) a bad one. (laughs) That's all right. We're going to have more taser talk here on this show. And what we're going to have plenty of is some Dave Meltzer talk. And here oh, we go, God. Eric. I know. I'm sorry. I don't want to ruin your 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 New Year's.
3: I, I, I've got to, I've got to mentally prepare for this. Because-
2: All right. Well, here here we go. Because there's a lot throughout the rest of this. Because this was a this was
3: an interesting year for Goldberg. There's this may talk- be the Shortest. This may be the shortest podcast I've ever done. So oh, no. just putting you on putting you on notice. <laughs> Douche tube. There's talk
2: in the Observer that Goldberg may need to have his knee scoped. Bill ran hard and fast for the last year. Uh, was there more wear and tear on him than being let on, by the way? And then we'll get into some observer stuff.
3: Um, yeah, I, I honestly I don't remember the the issue that Bill had with his knee, but it, it you know, we yeah. just got done talking about it. The kid the guy's been playing football since he was probably five. Yeah. Um and the fact that he had to have his knee scoped, which is not a serious uh surgery, by the way. I've had my knee scoped and it's just not a big deal. Yeah. Right. Um not a highly invasive surgery at all, but, uh, so it's probably why I don't remember it, but I, I'm sure that I'm sure there was a lot of wear and tear on bill that we might not have been aware of.
2: Well, Eric, Dwayne Gill as Gilberg debuts on WWF TV on January the 11th from the observer, Dwayne Gill as Gilbert doing a Goldberg spoof lost to Luna Vashon in a minute and two seconds when he couldn't hold the jackhammer and she fell on him and then splashed him. He, miss, uh, he missed the, his spear and couldn't do his jackhammer. Michael Cole, uh said that it showed Gilbert had only had one move. People were knocking that NBC special about planted signs, but it was clear for this one they planted a lot of Gilbert signs in the crowd and w- as well as piped in phony chants. Although they were making fun of how the audience was chanting, but nobody's lips were moving. It was kind of funny and probably equally classless to what WCW did the week before, but it's a classless business. The odds are this will become a regular seg- segment and it'll get this over is Dave the- Meltzer. This is, Dave, this is Bel-
3: Dave Meltzer commenting on class <laughs> and it, it, it'll get over to the live audience
2: <laughs> at every spot, but it'll also wind up making Goldberg a bigger star than ever. If they don't smarten up and cut it off quickly, did you Ooh, ever, there talk- he goes,
3: he's using, he's using inside wrestler talk smarten up because Dave is at the epicenter of the industry. You know,
2: did you ever talk to bill about this? And what did you think of this whole spoof? I,
3: I, I kind of got a kick out of it. I thought it was funny, you know. And and look, I, if something makes me laugh, I don't. If it's a competitor and it can make me laugh, I like it. You know, not that jaded and cynical about everything that's not mine. You know, so I thought it was funny. It was kind of like the billionaire Ted skits. I thought those were hilarious. It was well thought out, well executed, and so was this. Bill didn't feel that way. <laughs> Bill was hot. I bet. Like, legitimately hot. And I think I just read something a couple of weeks ago. It might have been an interview that Bill did or, or somebody, whatever. I, I don't want to try to even quote it because I can barely remember it, but it was something about Bill's finally over the Gilbert thing. Like, it took him a long time. Wow. But he's finally over it. I think that's true. We'll have to reach out to Bill and ask.
2: Well, sold out occurs. It's, uh, January 17th from Charleston, West Virginia. It's Hall versus Goldberg as the main event. The show draws 10,833 with 10,255 paying. That's a $210,000, $740, uh, gate. So that's great. The observer says Bill Goldberg beat Scott Hall in 17 minutes, 41 seconds of a ladder match with a stun gun on the top. They did an angle before the first match where they went into Goldberg's dressing room and he was on the floor, writhing in pain from an unseen attack. Goldberg came out wearing a big knee brace and limping badly. Most of the match saw Hall work over Goldberg's knee. Goldberg did a tremendous job selling the knee. Really, it was his best performance from a dramatic standpoint. It ate limping like a big monster with his head covered in blood, which, by the way, Dave was told it was the hard way. And uh, the fans knowing not to give up because he was going to make that big comeback Goldberg was about to get the stun gun, but Disco Inferno knocked over the ladder and he caught his throat on the top rope. Hall got the stun gun, but Goldberg blocked him twice and gave him a sidekick. The stun gun hits the floor and Goldberg got it. Goldberg zapped Disco. Goldberg threw the stun gun in the air like a ref on a jump ball. And as Hall tried to catch it, Goldberg speared and jackhammered him. Goldberg then zapped him for the win. Then bam, bam, Bigelow runs in, but Goldberg brawled with him. This gave Hall a chance to get the stick, and he's at both Goldberg and Bigelow and left them both laying. Aside from the post-match, this was really well done. While it set up the three-way on TV, Goldberg's mission, which is WCW's best chance this year for a hot program, is to go through the pack one by one until getting to Hogan. While there's time for someone losing to get his heat back after the match, this wasn't the time nor the place for that to happen because the big money is to use this match to build a bigger money program not have this be the program. He gave it three and a half stars. The inclusion of Bam Bam here, Eric uh, is interesting as he's uh, put on equal footing here with Goldberg and Hall do uh, what do you remember about all this?
3: Not a lot. You know, this, and I, you know, I do want to uh, preface what I'm about to say, cause you're going to hear this a lot. I think on this episode, right around this time is when there was so much madness going on with internal broadcasting and that trickled down to everybody, not just WCW. It was, it was tough. And it was about this time that I was tapping out of creative. And I think you'll we go back and look at the timeline. Kevin Nash tagged in. Um, in large part because I just didn't have the bandwidth any longer to fight the fight I was fighting behind the scenes in the office with Turner broadcasting and, and trying to do damage control there and you know focus the way I needed to on creative so when you hear me say god I don't remember the details of that it's not because I've got a bad memory or sure. because I don't want to admit something uh, or take responsibility for something you know all of wcw was my responsibility at this point but there were a lot of things that were going on creatively that were much different than they were in 98 because of the directions I was being pulled in basically, or pushed into. frankly. And by the so way, I don't Eric, remember, I, I, yeah. I don't remember the, the reasoning why bam, bam, you know, as you were laying that out to me, I could visualize it. You know, a lot of times when somebody reads, you know, the action in a match uh, and it's sometimes hard to really visualize, right. This one, especially the finish where Goldberg threw the caliprot or whatever the hell it was, I, that's, a, that's a pretty cute move, man. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's a very different, unique um, element of the finish. So I, I liked all of that, but bam, bam, I, I don't know, man, it didn't make sense to me. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Now as you're listening, now, maybe there was something else going on and there was a path for bam, bam. You know, storyline wise, that I just don't remember because I wasn't involved in it directly. But if there wasn't, it just seems really odd. Like you said, it's a square peg in a round hole.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure, you do. And I bet it can be hard work. But you know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Well, to your point, Eric, September, which we're
2: going to get to, as we go throughout this year, this is when you say I'm going fishing.
3: Well, I, you know, I said, I was going fishing after I got fired. Right. (laughs) You know, I, I, say, I was like, take this job and <laughs> shove it. That's one set of circumstances. Those were not the circumstances yeah. I found myself in.
2: Oh, all right. Well, we'll get there. Let's not let the cat out of the bag yet. Cause I want to hear that. So the next night on nitro is Goldberg versus Bigelow versus hall. Here we go. And Goldberg does the jackhammer on hall before Brian Adams and the rest of the NWO interfere. The horsemen come out to help with the save, but it ends up with the focus on flair versus Hogan. And so, uh, there's no pen from Goldberg on Bigelow here. Meltzer notes, the big money is still Goldberg versus Hogan and Goldberg should be winning clean and made into a superhero until they get there. After doing such a great job selling the knee the previous night, Goldberg came out with without a knee brace, nor did he sell the knee at all. So I got to ask, is this, uh, you know, lack of continuity, does it really hurt us as the casual fan or is this mostly just blown out by the dirt sheet writer here blown up?
3: I, I'm not sure I understand what you're referring to. Uh, In
2: terms of the knee brace, so Goldberg had a knee brace. Got got it, his knee was was damaged, and it was a big time storyline. It sold out as far as the industry, and then the next night on Nitro, he's not limping, and, and Meltzer's making a big point to to really pull out. how he doesn't have a knee brace on. He's not selling the knee at all. Knee at all. Is there? Yeah, that? I think
3: that I, I, I get that. I, I, I thank you. Yeah, that's that was that was poor. There was no continuity. It wasn't even poor continuity. It was no continuity. And there's a difference. And I think it does. I I, I think it, you know, I don't think people argue, get pissed off, you know, and say to themselves consciously, at least I'm never going to watch this again because last night Bill Goldberg (laughs) had a brace. And now tonight he's not, you know, people like, you know, Dave Meltzer would obsess over shit like that, but it doesn't mean he's wrong. Because I think what happens is people subconsciously, what, what happens is they disconnect. Mm. You know, you're know, you asking them to connect with a story in a set of circumstances that are a part of that story. Bill Goldberg's story, knee brace, Scott Hall attacking the knee right before the match, selling the knee throughout the match. You're asking them. And, and by the way, Bill did a good job and so did everybody else of, of, selling those circumstances and making them feel like an important part of an important story. And then when you turn to the page and that important part of an important story no longer exists, it kind of, you disconnect. You just, you you know, and the disconnection of, of the audience is what leads to attrition and audiences, you know, taking a walk and not coming back. Mm. So I, I think the criticism is valid at this point from Dave Meltzer. I think it you know, I, I disagree with with building Goldberg up as a superhero. We just spent quite a bit of time doing that. I think the Bill Goldberg superhero at this point in '99, that that character, that arc, we did as much as we could do with that, if you yeah. think about it. You know and to go right back to it again i don't think that would have been successful you know you i said this about brock lesnar when brock returned back to wwe the same time somebody asked me how do you feel about brock coming back and there are very few athletes that i have more respect for than brock lesnar i like brock you know we, we get along fine haven't seen him in a long time but you know, minnesota guys Red ring mutual friend. You know, there's a lot of semi-connective tissue there. But none of that matters. If you look at you look at Brock and all the success that he's had over the years, all the money that he's made, you know, he made, again, here's a guy that never played football in high school or college who made the Vikings. <laughs> so, come on. He's a, he's a freak of nature as an athlete. But one of the things that I said about Brock coming back to WCW, or excuse me, WWE, Uh, this most recent time is unless you show me something different, if if I don't see something that I haven't seen before out of Brock as a performer, as a character, it's, it's going to bore me. I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. We've all been on that journey, the Brock Lesnar journey for a long time. So unless there's a new version of Brock Lesnar or a new version of a Brock Lesnar story that we haven't seen before, I'm tagging out before I tag in. Now, fortunately, WWE, either because they listen to the show and they are indeed enlightened, as many of the listeners here are, as a result, took note of my commentary. And what do we see? We're seeing a different Brock Lesnar. We're seeing a different aspect of Brock Lesnar's uh, character. It's different. And that would have been true for, for Bill Goldberg back in 99 as well. We'd spent all 1998. He was 174 and zero. By God, everybody was trying to take him out. How much more of a superhero can one build at that point? And just to go back to that same story again, I don't think so. Dave, while you may have been right about the continuity issue, you flunked, flunked, horribly flunked dramatic storytelling with regard to professional wrestling. You know nothing. And and Eric, to
2: be fair,
3: go No, I don't want to be fair. Fuck him. Not what not to Meltzer. Be
2: fair. I, I'm talking not about Meltzer. I'm talking to the creative process of WCW. You think All about right. a guy coming off that kind of undefeated streak. There is no blueprint. There is no creative blueprint written for a wrestler coming off an undefeated streak to then what are the next steps of how we handle this character then going forward to keep him. Uh, towards the top of the business or as red hot with him now taking losses every once in a while. How do you execute well, on that creatively? There's no yeah, blueprint. It, it, I think, are
3: you asking me what the blueprint yeah, is? I mean,
2: I, or, or, you know, you were kind of operating blindly trying to figure that out. Correct.
3: WCW. Well, I, I mean, blindly is a good word. Um, there were random approach. Everybody had an opinion, of course, including bill. Um, Look, if I had to do it all over again, um, before I, before I tell you what I might like to think I would do, you know, knowing now what I didn't know then, uh, you also have to remember that bill didn't have a lot of repertoire, mm. right? Yeah. Because bill was so green and because and of is- the storyline that he just went through the 174 and storyline and a lot of those matches were very, very similar. Right? Different yeah. opponents, but finish everything. About Spear, jackhammer, pin. Yeah. Yeah. So Bill didn't have the skill set necessarily to go out there and have a match with a much different story. Right? Bill was, although he did a great job of selling here, as Dave pointed out, um, selling an injury like that and, and selling within the body of a match in, in different ways all the time. Selling was something Bill was was working on, but Bill didn't have you know a, a Bret Hart like uh, skill set, sure, or Chris Jericho skill set, or an Eddie Guerrero skill set, or a Ric Flair skill set. He didn't have that, so he was very limited. And when you when you have somebody that's as over as Bill was, but a very very limited skill set, but now you've got to tell a different story because as we've just talked about, you can't keep going back to the same story. What do you do with that? And that's one of the things that I remember trying to figure out. Now, all that being said, you know, if you look at some of the, look at Marvel, right? When you talk about characters, right? In, in, in fiction, does anybody do it better than Marvel? I, I don't know, maybe, but, when it comes to wrestling, if I want to draw a comparison, you know, to, or, or, or find a successful model to at least study when it comes to characters, I, I kind of like to look at Marvel. And one of the things that you'll find, I think, in most Mar- Marvel characters, whether it's in a comic book or a movie, is there's an inner struggle with the talent, with the star. I'm sorry, talent, talking about Marvel characters like the wrestlers. <laughs> But a a hero character in a Marvel story has some internal struggles that they're trying to overcome. They have flaws that they need to overcome in order to overcome the challenge that's central to their story. And just building superheroes like we did with Bill that are just not vulnerable to anything yeah, it's cool to watch for a while and you get a lot of enjoyment out of it because you're living vicariously through that character. And, you you know, in, in the dark recesses of your mind, perhaps, you know, you're, you're wishing that could be you. Um, but Bill didn't have that. Bill didn't have a, a character flaw. He had flaws. I mean, the fact that he didn't have a big skill set, he was pushed to the moon, put on this major mountaintop at the peak of the wrestling, you know, audience you know, at that point, I mean, wrestling was hotter than it had ever been. And Bill Goldberg's right at the top of it. It's a lot of pressure, but I would have tried knowing what I know now that I didn't really understand then. I would have tried to find a flaw. I would have tried to manufacture a flaw mm. for Bill to overcome on his quest. I don't know what that would be, but just building him up as a superhero without any flaws would not have been the way to do it. Mm.
2: Good stuff. No, uh, totally agree. We're looking back 2020, obviously, but it's funny now though, even you see a wrestler who starts to get on some type of undefeated streak for a while. That's it's the Goldberg, you know, you go back to Goldberg. He was really the one who create who was established and they, and, they, and,
3: they, and they don't work do they? No, they don't work. Just Never like, seen it since. you know, you get all these factions and all these people coming out and trying to recreate the success of the N.W.L. and they can't, you can't you can't be the first man on the moon when you weren't the first man on the moon. You know, you can be the second man on the moon, but it's never quite the same. It's just not quite as good. And for years now, people have been trying to recreate the the success of of the NWO or in this case, the success of Bill Goldberg's winning streak to try to recreate, recapture that, you know, magic with the audience. And nobody's been able to do it since because we've seen it, we've done it.
2: Eric, we'll talk a little bit about mainstream here. So Goldberg is scheduled to be on the sidelines of the super bowl because the Falcons were in it. This was uh, John Elway's Broncos versus Jamal Anderson's dirty bird Falcons. And, uh, there's always been talk about how all this mainstream work went by the wayside with WCW and wasn't promoted correctly. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Um,
3: I, I think it's an observation. It's a fair observation. It's probably an unfair criticism because working with the NFL when you're WCW at that, even at that time, as hot as we were, it's not easy. You know, the or or even the Falcons, you know, they're not going to let you do a lot of things, particularly down on the field, that can be a distraction. So It's a fair observation, but an unfair criticism, because I think the people who are being critical of that have no idea how difficult it was for us at that time to create any synergy at all with the NFL.
0: Mm. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total, your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over.
2: Well, we would continue to see some mainstream love here for Goldberg. You'd have, Wait a minute. as a matter of fact, yeah.
3: Paul, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, go ahead, but just to, to, to put a, a finer point on that. I think, could be wrong, but I think it was in 98 when the Wall Street Journal had a full-page ad, ABC, actually, um, who was carrying Monday Night Football at the, at the time. I believe it was ABC, pretty sure. Um, ABC took out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal right before the upfronts. The upfronts is when all of the networks and studios and everybody's out promoting their new lineups to the advertising industry, right? In hopes of pre-selling a lot of commercial time for the, for the, for the year. Um, that's probably 75% of, of network ad buys take place in the spring, the first quarter, usually February, March, somewhere in there uh, of the year. And ABC took out a full page ad in the wall street journal. And the, 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 the headline was something like wrestling with your mix, which means you know, advertising placements. Um, and they showed you just how highly rated WCW was and WWE. We were both in there, but of the like top 10 programs, WCW was three out of the top 10.
2: Mm. And
3: I think we were right near the top. And the point was, you know, ABC was talking to advertisers saying, don't put your money into wrestling, you know, put it into the NFL. We were competing with the NFL at the time. And the fact that they had to, you know, ABC had to take out an ad, a full page ad in, in the wall street journal to convince media buyers not to spend money in wrestling because we were taking money out of the market. That's how successful we were at that point, but it also is representative of the real issue that we had creating any synergy between ourselves and and the NFL, including the Atlanta Falcons. Mm. So there you go.
2: Good stuff. Good education there, Eric. Bigelow versus Hall have a ladder match at Nitro in Dallas with a taser once again hung from the top. Were, were tasers, were they a new sponsor or what? What's going on here? There's tasers everywhere, Eric. There's things electrocuting. We're, we'll, we'll, this is Kevin Nash's creative. That's what we're going with. Well,
3: yeah. Damn Kevin. <laughs> he was, he was taser
2: friendly. So Goldberg cleans house after the match. And then Scott Norton jumps in. This leads to Goldberg defeating Norton in five minutes, 32 seconds NWO attack, but this time we got Herschel Walker, Brett Hall, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and Chuck Norris all hit the ring to stand by Goldberg for a gigantic pop. Goldberg and Van Damme had filmed Universal Soldier 2, and I'm assuming the rest of these guys were there checking out the show. They're celebrities in WCW,
3: and it feels like this one was done uh, correctly. Wouldn't you say, Eric? Yeah, and uh, Chuck Norris was uh, a client of Henry Holmes' Ah. who represented Bill Goldberg. So that's how, that's how Chuck Norris ended up in that mix. But yeah, it sounds pretty exciting actually.
2: Yeah, no, very, very cool. The main event was the uh, horseman, uh, flair Benoit McMichael against the NWO, which was Hogan, Nash, and Steiner. It's a gigantic brawl to finish the show of WCW versus NWO. Goldberg isn't seen until the NWO guys get set to the top of the ramp, and then he starts picking him off one by one. It seems like Bill is gaining the crowd back at this point after the loss. Was this something you and the team were focusing on doing to make sure Bill was
3: positioned this way at this point? Well, obviously, there was a rebuild... And prog- process, you know, take a guy like Bill Goldberg and okay, we're done with the storyline, let's just leave him over here in a corner until we figure out what to do with him. Obviously, it was you know trying to rebuild and, and get some more momentum and add some depth to his character.
2: Well, we mentioned Bam Bam Bigelow earlier, Eric, and uh, he's going to take on Goldberg at Super Brawl. And uh, I'm sure, I'm guessing it was to not only give someone to Goldberg, feed Goldberg, but It sounds like you're also trying to elevate uh, Bam Bam as a, as a monster heel at this point, you know, newly joining WCW as he was. Uh,
3: I I wasn't as high on Bam Bam as others were. And I I don't know that there was ever a real commitment to really put a rocket ship on Bam Bam. He was very important. He was a valuable asset. As a part of WCW, but probably more in the role of trying to get Goldberg over than Goldberg trying to get Bam Bam Bigelow over.
4: Mm. If you, if you know what I mean?
3: Well, from Some the would also refer to that as cannon fodder, but that that would be cruel.
2: From uh, Dave Meltzer, he said Goldberg was offered a guest shot on ER. But WCW nixed it because the filming would conflict with a Monday Nitro. Some heat over that since they don't book Goldberg a lot on Mondays anyway, and now they won't give him off when he has the chance to be seen to more people than have ever seen him before. Do you remember turning this down because it would be on a Monday, Eric?
3: No, that doesn't sound. That doesn't sound right.
2: As it? Does I mean, make sense?
3: Look, if he just and again that I don't remember it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I don't remember it. But if you look at I mean you look at my history, I have never been one to shy away from trying to get mainstream exposure for WCW talent. I never in fact I, I've often been accused of going too far uh, so I there, there, there must be more to that story uh, because just saying no for just to be shitty I mean I I, I no, I don't believe that. I believe there was some, if that happened, there was probably more to it. But it makes no sense at all that we would not take advantage of having one of our stars in a primetime NBC series that at that time was probably one of the more successful shows on television. That doesn't make any sense. I'm calling bullshit.
2: Here's more from Meltzer Goldberg appeared on Regis and Kathy Lee on February 8th of 99, and will be on Jay Leno on February 19th. He spoke before Congress on February 2nd and got a lot of mainstream pub talking about animal rights and trying to eliminate dog fighting and cock fighting from all accounts. He came off very well. This is pretty big here, Eric. What do you think of all this?
3: I just, I know Bill was very, probably still is very, very passionate about that cause um, Bill loves animals. Um, I believe his wife has several, um, horses that, that they are very, um, that are a big part of their lives. So yeah, I think it's great. It's the kind of publicity you love to have. And it was genuine. It wasn't, Hey, go talk about this subject and pretend you really care. Bill was very, very passionate about this cause. So of course he came off well, cause he was knowledgeable.
0: Mm.
2: Dave goes on in The Observer to say there was some heat back and forth regarding the February 15th Tampa Nitro. WCW basically gave the show as a favor by Harvey Schiller to George Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner then didn't even show up for his own show and instead attended the ESPY Awards that night. Steinbrenner's people were mad at WCW and complained afterwards to the office about the quality of the show and then specifically about Goldberg not being there. Do you remember this at all? People complaining about the shows without
3: Goldberg, like the Observer said. No, that's that's bullshit. All right, it's just there was a long-standing relationship with with Steinbrenner, um, and no, the the, the absolutely not. That's just bullshit.
2: Alright, well listen, for those of you that don't know what Goldberg did on Leno, we have the audio for you right here on 83 Weeks. Check this out, Eric.
5: Are you a little nervous being on this kind of venue?
4: I'm uh, only nervous because I'm actually wearing clothes and I'm uh, not beating people (laughs) up.
5: (laughs) Now usually wrestlers have like like, odd name. Now Goldberg is your real name, isn't it? Yeah. Did you ever think of being, you know, the something or other, the Titan (laughs) or one of those deals?
4: (laughs) Well, you know, my name originally was the assassin, but I changed it to something more menacing, like Goldberg.
5: Goldberg. You know, like, well,
4: Goldberg is disarming. You know, they may expect the accountant, you know,
5: or something like that. <laughs> you know, like, 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 well, a lot of people might not know. But, but a lot of folks might not know. You played in the NFL. Yeah. And you were with. Was it the Raiders? Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta oh, Falcons. I'm sorry. I'm Falcons.
4: Three years, yeah. And what happened? You got injured, right? Tore my lower abdomen, unfortunately, and uh, now I'm moved on to bigger and better things.
5: Okay, yeah, this worked out okay. Okay. Now let me. Now were your parents wrestlers? <laughs> <laughs>
4: they were the famous Jewish tag team from the Midwest.
5: Jewish <laughs> tag, tag team of the Midwest. So what did your folks do?
4: <laughs> Actually, my. Uh, <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> Actually, my uh, uh, mother was a concert violinist. And my father was a gynecologist, so don't
5: take it. Well, yeah,
4: So I guess your career choice was a natural, really. Yeah. Yeah, they re- They really liked it when I cho- when I chose uh, being a wrestler too. The first thing that my dad did was hang the phone up on me.
5: <laughs> did he really?
4: Yeah. No, really. <laughs> now he's my biggest fan. You know?
5: Now do they come? Do they come? That's my boy.
4: Yeah, they come to as many events as Eric Bischoff and the rest of WCW yeah. will allow because they try to come to all of them. That's great. That's like the movie The Jazz Singer. You know, it's the same oh, deal. Great. Right? <laughs> I mean, how did you decide? I'm trying decide? to break that
5: stereotype. No, no. Right? But how did you decide to do this? How did you? What made you sort of? Where did the transition come
4: from? My accountant told me I had to get off my butt and start doing something. <laughs> um, it was kind of, I, I don't want to say it's a natural progression, but, yeah. uh, you know, being in the NFL, uh, you always had that locker room thing going. Right. You do get paid a fairly decent amount of money. Oh, yeah, it's great. And uh, the physical competition, you know, yeah. and uh, I thought it was a natural progression for And, me, you know, so. you
5: guys are great. When I did the wrestling thing with you guys in Sturgis, you know, the one thing I liked was all the wrestlers took time to talk to all the kids, Nobody ever used any bad language. I mean, there's a lot of grunting and bodies. Sp- I mean, you know, I mean, they were very nice. I mean, you guys were great with the youngsters. Because a lot of athletes won't sign things and won't do things. And I thought that was great. You guys are out there. Each kid got a little something, you know, a, a choke or a hit in the head or something. But, you
4: know, you, you know. I, I speared a couple of kids on yeah. the way into the yeah. room. But well, the kids love that. You know, what? The, the main reason why I do what I do is for the kids. You yeah. know, it's, it's uh, great entertainment for them. And I would... Uh, I drop everything to give an autograph to a kid. You know, yeah. I, I do these two-hour autograph sessions and end up staying for three and a half and four just to make sure that everybody's got now, everything. I want to ask you something now. This Steve Austin guy... Who's that?
5: I keep hearing Goldberg's a wimp, and Goldberg's scared of him, and, uh, you know, I know you're your friend. I, I, I don't want to bring this I up. I
4: guess this gives me an opportunity to uh, throw a challenge out there. You're
5: going to throw a challenge right here tonight? Yeah, you know, there have
4: been... There've been uh, Yes, Kevin. <laughs> I've been yeah. in high school before. You go it, <laughs> there. You go. Um, ever since I started, everybody always called me a ripoff of Steve Austin. Well, you guys know, and I know, there's only one Goldberg. That's right. <laughs> and I don't know what he's thinking, or if he's, or if he's even thinking. But uh, <laughs> I'll throw a hundred grand of my money, Austin, anytime, anyplace. We can even do it in the back alley of the nbc right stadium. here at nbc
5: we'll, we'll set it up right here <laughs> In fact, you know up? You know up? how about Callista becomes the ring girl i think it's a hell of a deal so you, it's a hundred thousand a hundred thousand you gotta do the 100 grand austin you get me right here on <laughs> taking you down for 100 grand did i do it right i did
4: not go to that action there you go man.
3: All right, conrad let's hit pause one more time because we want to welcome yet another partner a new partner here at 83 weeks we're talking about trade coffee now not a surprise to anybody i am probably considered a coffee snob i am very very particular about the coffee i drink and i should be because i drink a boatload of coffee it's probably one of the reasons I have as much fun doing this show is I do because I come fully powered with my favorite coffee but one of the things I like about trade coffee well I'm gonna tell you a whole lot more but the vast selection of ultra high quality product from craft roasters around the US delivered straight to my door trades goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever Now, the journey to your perfect cup, it starts with taking their coffee quiz. For example, you use a French press, maybe an automatic drip. Perhaps you're a cold brew person. Doesn't matter. No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with the perfect coffee that will fit your taste. Trade will match your coffees that you love from 400 plus. Craft coffees, and we'll send you a freshly roasted bag just as often as you like. You give, trade your feedback as your preferences evolve. Trade learns more about what you like. Your coffee matches will too. It's a perfect way to get the perfect match for the perfect cup of coffee. You can feel good about each cup since Trade partners with fifty-five, over fifty-five small U.S. based roasters who are committed. To both ethical and sustainable sourcing i love trade coffee i love the fact it gets delivered to my door i love the wide variety of coffees that are available to me and i love the fact that they're matching my particular tastes and the things that i like with some of the best coffees out there you're going to love it too so for our listeners Right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com forward slash 83weeks, use the promo code 83weeks, take the quiz, and start the perfect journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com forward slash 83weeks, promo code 83weeks for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. Ah, enjoy. Mm, That was good. Now, let's get back to the show in three, two, one. Play.
2: There it was, Eric. And you know, Meltzer had some comments. That was fun, wasn't it? That was fun. So here we go. Dave has some thoughts on this, and I can't wait to get your, your, uh, your retort. And yet another example of one of life and wrestling's most perplexing moments, WCW told Bill Goldberg to go onto to the night show with Jay Leno on February the 19th and issue a challenge to Steve Austin, and then failed to follow up on their own idea for this major grandstand angle with their typically Weasley acknowledgement of it on the pay-per-view in Nitro that didn't even mention Austin's name. Twice on Nitro, Tony Schiavone made reference to the challenge heard around the world issued by Goldberg on the Leno show, which was pushed hard all through Thunder the night before the challenge as the main topic of the show. Since the challenge itself drew almost no mainstream publicity, partially due to it coming off week on the show for a number of reasons, viewers of WCW events who didn't watch Leno would have had no idea what Schiavone was talking about and probably figured he must have meant Scott Steiner. Uh, He mentioned the challenge had gone unanswered and made some remarks about how some people can talk the talk, but won't walk the walk, but without making clear what he was talking about, his statements largely were cryptic WCW language that nobody, but insiders understood and only annoy most viewers with the announcing crew. What say you, Eric?
3: There's a bunch of diarrhea. (laughs) I don't even know what, I don't even know what he was trying to say, but Did we promote it? Did we acknowledge it? Yes. Did we use it as a promotional tool on our television? Guess what would have happened, you dipshit, Dave, if we would have used a trademarked name to promote an event that wasn't going to happen? It's a trademarked name. You can't use it.
2: Legal action. That's right.
3: Damn, son, you're dumber than I thought. I knew you were dumb, but, geez, man, the depths of your stupidity are just almost immeasurable.
2: Goldberg himself. This is Dave again. Goldberg himself didn't want to issue the challenge to Austin feeling. It might make him seem like a star beneath the level of Austin publicly, which although he is, isn't something that WCW should put Goldberg in the position of looking like since he's still the most marketable wrestler in the company. It was the idea of Eric Bischoff and Kevin Nash who ordered him to do it. And as usual, wasn't very well thought out since the original idea was for Goldberg to challenge anyone in the rival company. Thinking through possible scenarios for that could be uh, disastrous to WCW from a PR standpoint. Instead, the decision was made to challenge Austin specifically Goldberg was told to say he was putting up $100,000 of his own money for a winner-take-all match for charity, and if he won, his winnings would go to the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals or another animal rights type of organization that Goldberg legitimately devotes a lot of time to, as you said, Eric. Nash had also told Goldberg he was working on his back door, building some sort of deal he was hoping to put together where he and Goldberg would do a worked shoot angle with Austin and Ken Shamrock, feeling the interpromotional aspect of it will get the world thinking it was real. And it would become the biggest thing in wrestling in years, particularly with shamrock's name involved and eventually turn it into a worked fight when it took place. And he'd share the spotlight of the big interpromotional angle, which would give him the rub from the match. And then stars involved along with the rep as a shooter to the fans, which comes in handy. I, 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 I can't take
3: anymore. I, I it's, it's all over the fucking place. I, and, and by the way, I don't think anything ever happened. Now, did Kevin and Bill Goldberg joke about some shit? Or, God, wouldn't it be fun if we did this one day, knowing that it's never going to happen? But this is all just bizarre. I don't know where Dave could I, – I, I'm speechless. I am now – not only is the depths of Dave Meltzer's stupidity almost immeasurable – the ability to understand what he was trying to say is measurable. And it's profoundly bizarre. I don't get it, man. I, I got to sit anymore. Listen. I was literally getting dizzy sitting in my chair. I knew channels. you were. I, I saw your, home. I saw
2: your face. And as I, I was, I read through the notes earlier. I was like, this is going to be the pinnacle of the show. I could not wait to get to this and read this to you. As Conrad says, there was a lot to unpack there.
3: No, I mean- no, there's nothing to unpack there. <laughs> The, the only thing that needs to be unpacked is, is it were, would be kind of a, a, a deep dive into who taught Dave Meltzer, how to write that. That was so much.
2: Oh, there's more. There's even more. I didn't even get to it's unbelievable. It's
3: bizarre None of it made any sense. And he calls himself a journalist. I mean, you get vertigo just listening to him, try to make a point. It's crazy.
2: Well, We move on because Austin would respond, Eric, and it was on the Howard Stern show. And he said, and, uh, nevertheless, when Austin was on Howard Stern on February 22nd, more Meltzer here, the subject was brought up with Austin trying to blow it off by saying that Goldberg was wrestling in the minor leagues and he'd be glad to wrestle him if he came to the WWF, but blew it off for now. He also tried to dismiss Goldberg as simply a copy of himself because of their similar blank trunks and shaved head looks. That response was risky as well as any casual fan would hear that statement being Goldberg is one of the three biggest stars in the business today would see it as backing down, which is not exactly what his character's popularity was built on. And I know this is all fun and games. We're seeing this now a little bit, AEW and WWE taking shot at each other now on TV, but is this really the best way to utilize important television time in your estimation?
3: Well. Are, are you referring to Austin appearing? Just the um,
2: Austin and the Goldberg, and hey, I'm on. They're on Leno. Goldberg's on Leno. Why are we talking about the other company? I mean, you know, th- this will be because
3: a, we're in head-to-head competition. Is
2: and that and is, that's what I'm asking: Is it? Is do you think that this was the the best way to utilize no, that time?
3: Yeah, I do. You're getting people talking. You're creating awareness. You know, and and, and one of the earlier comments that Dave Dave made in that just soup of an idea that he was trying to express um, was that very little mainstream media. I'm sorry. Fucking tonight's show at NBC. That's not a little bit of mainstream media. Howard Cern is not a little bit of mainstream media. So yeah, it, 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 in terms of creating awareness for what it was, it was effective. It was awkward. You know, you could listen, when when you played that clip of Bill and and Jay together, you could hear that Bill was not exactly comfortable laying that challenge out. Right? Oh, yeah. He stumbled around with it. He did, right. And I would imagine we didn't get a chance to listen to Austin, but what else would Austin do but to downplay it? You know, and David, well, it doesn't exactly make him look good because it appears to the audience. No, you dipshit. No, not everybody's like you, Dave. Not everybody has whatever challenges you have with, with the product and, 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 and the way you look at the product. Not everybody's like you, Dave. They're really, really not. But it was awkward for Steve. All Steve could do was blow it off. If he were to acknowledge it in any other way and bring more attention to it, that would have been a huge mistake but he did what he had to do and it did get people talking. So there you go.
2: There you go. Got the buzz. Well, Eric, we finally landed super brawl. It's Goldberg. It's Bigelow. It's uh, second from the top under Hogan and flair. And a little bit from Meltzer here. Ooh, I, I knew that you were just going to love this.
3: Just don't even say his name. Just from this point forward, please just say it was reported. Uh, got you it. don't have to put this idiot over. I don't want to encourage anybody to, to end up ser- searching for Dave Mouser and finding his tripe. So yeah, just it's been reported. It was reported, whatever. Just don't say his name again. It's starting to make me sick.
2: Understood. It was reported that Bill Goldberg pinned Bam Bam Bigelow in 11 minutes and 39 seconds. As of one week ago, this was booked to be a quickie. Bigelow came out to no ring music. So he appeared to be even deader than he actually is. This was the deadest Goldberg match since his infamous TV match with Steven Regal. It went too long. And while Goldberg sold his leg, well, the match made him just another wrestler and he can't get over as anything special in the role. The awkwardness is talking about the tonight show appearance by the announcers didn't help all in all. This was a major step backwards for him, even though he was protected and one clean there was a cool spot where Goldberg went for the spear and Bigelow jumped out of the ring to avoid it. When he got back in, he got spear twice and pinned after a jackhammer. Goldberg nearly lost him on the finish. It got a uh, half of a star too long. Did they just not click? Shouldn't Goldberg just be running over dudes right now instead of going 50. No,
3: we, we, We've seen it. We just got them talking about that. No, 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 no. And this was an attempt to try to get more depth into Bill's ability to tell stories inside of the ring. Which is why you, know, you could argue that it was a bad match, and I would probably agree with it. You could argue that it wasn't exciting to watch, and I would probably agree with it. But at some point, the guy's got to learn how to have a match that's different than just going out and spearing somebody and jackhammering him and walking home after four minutes. Come on, You can't tell that story over and over and over again, and expect right. it to work.
2: That's right. We need to find that flaw, find that different kind of storytelling for him. As you said earlier, we're he didn't
3: moving have on to be Bret Hart. You know, yeah. he didn't need, he need, didn't need to be a brick flare, but you need to be able to go out and tell a story in the ring. That's a little bit different than the 174 you've been telling for the last two years. Need to have some kind of dimension. I mean, God, right. So we're moving on to Nitro
2: in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's the big match. Yeah, I can I can say, I, can say it. I said Worcester sauce, I think. I was talking steak sauce. <laughs> the first time Ric Flair versus Kohlberg is to take place one-on-one. <laughs> I like got you there. I love Worcester.
3: It's beautiful in the fall. With all the trees all around Worcester. Yeah. colors.
2: <laughs> oh, man. I had a mouthful there. So it's Flair and Goldberg there, that place. I'm not even saying it. And they're taking It's one-on-one. It has no build. It's pointed out, or should I say it's reported, that the building failed to sell out and came up a 1,800 short, and the attendance was under 10,000. And when was the last time Nitro couldn't fill a building like that? In, a, in 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 Wor- Worcester, if you had booked and promoted it's Flair,
3: Worcester, I know, Worcester. I know,
2: I'm just having fun. If okay. you had booked and promoted Flair versus Goldberg last week for this show, do you think it could have sold out? If there was some promotion, some build up, something, do you think yeah. you could have sold it out?
3: I, I don't know. You know, the the, the mm. wheels were falling off of WCW by this point. The wheels were falling off of Nitro. The wheels were falling off at of Turner. I mean. Things, things were getting ugly across yeah. the company, corporately, and certainly within WCW. So I don't know that anything, I don't know that it would have mattered. Look, could, could, if the question is, could Ric Flair and Bill Goldberg sell out in 1999? Of course they could, with a good story. But there were not very many good stories in 1999. We all know that. Yeah. And I've tried to articulate why. But I don't think it had anything to do with Bill or Rick. I think it had to do with, there was no real story there. And it was not very good creative.
0: You ever pull back into your driveway after a trip to the grocery store, only to realize you forgot that one key ingredient for dinner. Well, now you have options. Get the groceries you need or a backup meal from your favorite local restaurant. Delivered with DoorDash, get what you want to eat right now and right to your door with DoorDash along with the restaurants you love. You can now get your groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash, get your drinks, your snacks, and other household items in under an hour. Maybe you're craving some late night ice cream. Maybe you forgot that one special thing for dinner, or maybe you just need to stock up for the week with DoorDash. You get everything in one app. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-to's or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's or Chipotle or even the Cheesecake Factory. Ordering is easy, and your items can be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code WEEKS. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the code weeks. Don't forget that code is weeks for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change terms apply. Feeling frustrated after getting rejected for a credit card or a personal loan. It happens way too often. That's why credit karma is changing the way people find and apply for cards and loans, whether you're refinancing credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense, credit karma uses your credit data to show you fresh personal loan offers that are personalized for you on credit karma. You can check out multiple loan offers side-by-side members who compare loan offers on credit karma, save on average 30% on interest rates. It's completely free and easy to sign up for a credit karma account with no effect on your credit score making it simple to search for the right personal loan for you. Credit karma will even show you your approval odds. So you can choose offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. And once you have a loan, credit karma can help you track your progress as you pay off your debt and even let you know if you can refinance and save credit karma, apply with more confidence today, ready to apply head over to creditkarma.com/loanoffers. forward slash loan offers. To see personalized loan offers with your approval odds right now. Go to creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers to find the right loan for you. That's creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers. It was reported that Flair versus
2: Goldberg was the same as Flair versus Nikita Koloff from 10 years ago, which is all the Flair spots and selling, no selling by his foe, and carrying a limited guy as we've talked about here to a good match. Although Goldberg has 10 times the charisma and five times the ability of Nikita in those days match had great heat live, but it didn't play as well on television because Hogan and Nash were bearing the intensity with their commentary. After Goldberg hit the spear, the NWO black and white ran in for the no contest. Flair and Goldberg were pounding on the job squad until Hogan and Nash came in with Steiner and buff and overpowered the guys until the show went off the air. Our friend, whose name we should not mention, goes on to say that Flair versus Goldberg did a 4.64 final quarter, saving the show's average rating to a 4.4 rating, but with Hogan's babyface turn, it's speculated that Goldberg is no longer the top babyface, and there's a chance he's unhappy about this. Did Bill ever express anything like this to you, Eric?
3: No. I think Bill was... Look, Bill got frustrated a lot going back to, you know, the fact that he was new in the business and didn't have, you know, a solid foundation of experience that he could rely upon. Uh, So there's a lot of things that frustrated Bill. Uh, Bill's also a perfectionist, you know, people that have not, at least my experience with him, I don't know what he's like in his personal life, you know, um, but I know when it came to business, he put a lot of pressure on himself. You know, we've seen that pressure that he put on himself manifest, you know, putting his fist through a limo window for real and almost severing an artery. That's bill not being mad at anybody else, but him because of the frustration that he felt. Um, So yeah, was bill frustrated at this point. Sure. He was. So were a lot of people. So was I, (laughs) by the way. Um, But not, not because he wasn't being featured and wasn't, you know, the star of the show. That's not true. Not true at all. Bill was a team player. He was just not sure how to be a team player sometimes, you know, or whose team decided to, to, to join. He was pulled in a lot of different directions, but he was never the kind of guy that, you know, where it all had to be about him. That was not him.
2: But I think that's very important. That's probably one of the most important things that you can say about Goldberg in this episode, Eric, is for those that may think that he wasn't a team player, you're saying, Hey, that that's not at all the case. Bill was a guy that played well in the sandbox with others.
3: Well, he, in many respects he did, but again, there was that frustration and, and, and lack of experience and lack of a depth chart in terms of his skill set. Yeah. So he, he was very frustrated and you can look at that and see and watch that. You know, I say manifest or watch that become obvious, whatever you want to say and assume that it's just because he's selfish and, you know, angry at everybody else until you realize that a lot of that frustration was himself
0: mm. you
3: know? and anyway
2: yeah there you go off
3: on that kind of dr oz tangent but
2: i like yeah. the dr oz stuff i think it's good because i think it shows too it tells everyone at home who may have thought hey, he's just a selfish guy no he's just a guy that knew no. he was limited and but he was a team player and probably frustrated uh, for other reasons outside of him just not being number one, having to have the world title all the time, that wasn't the case with Goldberg, no, and I think not, that's not, important. Not,
3: not, not at all.
2: So we move on to March of 1999. It's one of those infamous angles. It was Bret Hart. It was in Toronto. You and Conrad covered this, the Bret Hart episode, but we can't not talk about it today. Brett calls out Goldberg. Goldberg ends up spearing him. Brett has outsmarted him. Has the body plate on. Brett gets up and says, "Hey, Eric, I quit." How happy are you with this segment afterwards? It's when he gets himself knocked out, spearing him and uh, was Bill. Did Bill enjoy this?
3: I don't think Bill enjoyed it. I don't think Bill felt it was believable at the time. I don't know how he feels about it now. You know, all of us, you know, who are 25 or 30 years older today than we were back then have probably changed or evolved our positions on any number of things, but I don't think Bill, at that time at least it's not like he hated it but i don't think he was excited about it you know i i just don't i know brett brett was it was brett's idea hmm. brett was very proud of it still is to this day um and should be it was it was kind of a it was a unique beat you know in a story um something that nobody else had done before so it was clever creatively but I don't think Bill got excited about
2: it. I do want to ask you about this because your name is mentioned a few times throughout this. It was reported that Kevin Nash was mad about the angle, or at least he was telling everyone who would listen. Nash had already gone to Hart last week and wanted to use all the heat on the internet about him bearing Hart and turn it into an angle where he could become a heel booker. And that's what he was trying to be portrayed as anyway. And Hart fans were all over his website blaming Kevin Nash, supposedly, for Hart's lack of a push. Nevertheless, even though Nash told Hart he wanted to turn this into an angle, there must have been some heat at some level since Nash didn't want the Hart Goldberg angle to take place and was complaining that he was given control to be Booker and this angle was sprung on him and he didn't want it and he was told by Bischoff they wouldn't interfere with him as they had with previous Bookers before the Panama Beach Nitro and he basically let Dusty Rhodes put the show together. A lot of other power brokers got in Bischoff and others' ears about the angle potentially ruining Goldberg, particular being done in Toronto where Hart would get the face reaction. Bischoff wanted Hart to run down Canada and then the Canadian government in his interview before Goldberg came out, so Goldberg would be the face in the angle. But Hart refused. I'll stop there. Any any opinion or you know any thoughts on what is being reported there?
3: I mean, that's fantasy writing. I don't even know how to comment uh, on any of it. You know, unless, I, I, don't really, I don't even know, I don't want to speculate. It's a waste of energy. Um, this is just more bizarro reporting, if you want to call it that. It's not reporting. Um, I, I don't even know what to say to that.
2: Let me, Here let me ask go. you this. Do, do you remember Goldberg having an issue selling so heavy for Brett at all? Do you recall no. that at all? No. no. Okay. No. Not at, all. at this point, we're 90 days removed from bill dropping the title. If you don't remember it, then, then
3: we move oh, on because it, yeah. And that's, I mean, I mean uh, and this is what's always, you know, challenging with, with responding to things that people have reported is when there's no real fact that you can, you know, point to and kind of analyze or discuss it's, it makes it a challenge. And this is almost like, it's like fantasy, you know, like fantasy reporting trying to make, and and I'm not saying there wasn't some kernels of truth in here. Like, you know, could, is it plausible that Kevin Nash was frustrated because here's an angle that came out of nowhere. And by the way, Brett is the one that pitched me that angle. So the interference would have come from me, which isn't really interference because I ran the fucking company. Right. So, so, but you could argue that it's interference. You know, when, when I, if I were to hand the keys to, to the creative, to Kevin and then circle back, you know, later and say, Hey, Kev, what about this? I could see how Kevin would consider that interfering. And, and, and I can see why Kevin would actually be frustrated with that and complain about it. That's plausible, but the rest of it, you know, it's like taking one little grain of fact that's plausible and then blowing up an entire fantasy around it. I don't. That's about the only way I can describe that. Those comments.
2: Well, Eric uh, Tank Abbott is now signed in 99. According to the observer, the speculation is that he is groomed to be a big time opponent of Goldberg's. Do you remember if that was a part of the original plan for bringing tank on or not? Necessarily? That was not a part
3: of the original plan for bringing tank on. Um, not going to suggest that we didn't talk about a tank. yet, but man, keep in mind, Bill Goldberg was really into MMA. He was, uh, training in Muay Thai, which is pretty impressive and was pretty serious about it. And with tanks, you know, UFC background, so there, there was some there was some discussion, of, of course, but that wasn't why I brought Tank in. By the way, I just got, Tank Abbott reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and sent me um, three books that he's written, and I just started reading them. I wow. uh, reading book one. Um, it's pretty pretty interesting. Tank is a very interesting cat. He really is, you know, people remember tank and remember him in the UFC and remember him in wrestling. He's a, he's a very intelligent dude and, and, and much deeper, a much deeper thinker than than most people would assume based on the person they've seen on television. Mm.
2: Isn't that something? He's probably one of the last people you would think would write a book, let alone three. You know, not not to say you know why would he, but just again, you think of a fighter, a brawler, a guy who's in the ring training, and not necessarily someone who sits down with pen and paper and, and writes a long book. But I think that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it Nick is, Foley, it is another cool. one.
3: I'm yeah. I'm anxious to uh, I'm anxious to get through them and 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 learn more about what Tank can do with a pen. He's a better writer <laughs> than Meltzer. I'll say that. He knows there how you to go. use a comma. <laughs> I'll give I him know. that. He knows. How I to need an o- oxygen
2: a s- machine. Reading some of this stuff, it's unbelievable.
3: He, he, he knows how to structure a sentence. For God's sake,
2: <laughs> the longest run-on sentences Dave, I've Dave ever seen.
3: Needs, Dave needs to take writing lessons from Tank Abbott.
2: <laughs> uh, at Spring Stampede, we've made it to the spring, Eric.
3: Hey-oh!
2: Here's a crazy thought process. Goldberg and Kevin Nash have their long-awaited rematch. That's right, their main event rematch from Starcade. Finally, we're here. It's second from the top under the DP versus Hogan versus flair versus sting four-way for the WCW title with Randy Savage as the ref. When Nash beats Goldberg for the title at Starcade, do you really see the rematch being in this spot here? If,
3: uh, four months later, Kevin must have, right?
2: Yeah. That's a good, now that we've learned Kevin was really doing the, the thing here. That's, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, running with creative then, so this is uh, what he did see. So there you go, observer, or should I say, it was written or it was reported that Bill Goldberg did pin Kevin in seven minutes and forty four seconds. Nash had the early advantage, including using a low blow and a side slam. Goldberg powered Nash over with a front uh, chancery into a suplex. Goldberg went in for a spear, but Nash leapfrogged him and Goldberg destroyed ref Mickey J. Actually, Nash looked good for the spot. Nash used a chair shot on Goldberg. Goldberg made the big recovery using the claw to the groin followed by a spear and jackhammer. Uh, He gave it a star. Kevin Nash doing a leapfrog actually happened. That was the correct sentence. Goldberg gets the win in a strong fashion here, even with the rep bump, but it doesn't have the same feel to it. In your opinion, was the sizzle of Goldberg waning with the fans, Eric?
3: Sure it was. Sure it was. Um, For a lot of reasons. And, again, without, you know, kind of going back to the same point I've been making throughout the show so far, is uh, he had a couple things working against Bill at this point. One was he was coming off this phenomenal, in fact, I I think it's safe to say no one had ever Catapulted to the top of the wrestling industry as quickly as Bill Goldberg did. I mean, you go from showing up at the power plant 96 to being at the top of the mountain in the number one wrestling company in the world at that time within an 18 month period. I don't know if anybody else has ever done that before. And now he's on the downside of that. And it's a rebuild process. And he's going to have to now get the kind of depth in his abilities inside of the ring that will allow him to tell bigger and better stories that are different than the one that got him to the dance in the first place that's that's a challenge and now you put on top of that the biggest challenge of them all is that the creative just wasn't that good and in here's here here's another really important fact for people to understand is the audience, that we owned from 96 all the way to this point in 99, WCW owned men 18 to 49, owned Mm -hmm. that demo. As a result of the fact that I created that format to target that specific demo because the WWE was dominant in teens and preteens because that was their business model. So rather than trying to take their business model and make it my own, I decided to create another model by going after 18 to 49-year-old men. We owned it. We were hugely successful. WCW went from being a a company that was losing $10 million a year to a company that was spending between 350 million and $450 million a year, depending on whose accounting you wanted to look at. If you looked at WCW's accounting prior to intercompany allocations, which is just a really funny way of saying we're going to take your money and move it over here. Cause they need the credit right. over here. We need to build up that bottom line in this division. That's an intercompany allocation. But if you, even with the intercompany allocations, we were a $350 million a year company doing f- about 50 million a year in profit. Again, depending on who's, inter- who's accounting you wanted to look at within Turner. All of that happened within an 18 month period of time. You know what else happened? WWE went shit. We're getting our asses kicked. We're going to abandon the, the the teen and preteen business model that's been working for us since the beginning of our time here on national television. We're going to abandon that. And we're going to go after the 18 to 49 year old demo that WCW has dominated for so long. And what catapulted them into the number one position, you know, on television in, in, in the United States, hell, the world, for that matter. Um, we're going to do what they do only. We're going to do it. More. We're going to do it bigger. We're going to do it raunchier. We're going to we're going to take the line that they're 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 capped at in WCW in terms of content, and we're going to blow right over the top of it. You know, we're going to like have May Young give birth to a fucking hand. We're going to walk <laughs> women around inside of the ring and in their underwear with a dog collar on and a leash. We're gonna we're gonna let Sable come out and flash her tits. We're going to do everything more than WCW doing in order to take that 18 to 49 year old demo that they now own. And we're going to, we're going to take it from them by being more over the top. That's right. Oh, and by the way, over here in WCW, there are people in ad sales that have a lot more authority and a lot more stroke than anybody in WCW telling WCW that they need to tone their shit down.
2: Standards and practices. So
3: all of this is going on. In at at this point in Bill's career, and that created a lot of frustration, right? And I mean, there was so much going on at that time that people who, you know, just sit around and write about what they watch on TV and the rumors that they make up or report uh, around it all, they had no idea. They just had no idea what was really going on behind the scenes. They had no way of really analyzing what was really going on because they weren't even close to it. They were just watching it on TV and reporting rumors and, and and listening to, you know, employees, disgruntled you know wrestlers or employees in some cases, you know, telling Dave what whatever they knew Dave wanted to hear anyway. So they could watch, see, they could see it in print. I mean, it's, mm. That's where a lot of that shit came from.
2: Yeah. Well, I asked that question because Goldberg is featured on the cover of Entertainment Weekly on April 16th. Was the hope that his ability to break into the mainstream would garner more and more attention and more fans like, uh, as the official representative of the company, cause by the way, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but it said that Vince McMahon sent a letter to entertainment weekly saying, why did you have Goldberg on when you could have had someone like Steve Austin on?
1: That's a uh, pretty don't know crazy. If that's true
3: or not. It. Um, I guess it could be true with regard to Vince sending a letter. Your question, you know, what, was there a hope that having Bill Goldberg Yeah, him garner more mainstream attention. Was that the hope? Yeah, Mainstream attention. Well, yeah, that's why we did it. <laughs> that's kind of why you do that shit, right? Of course, we hope that. Why? Yeah. We, let me just. Was that a, was that a, someone report that? Was that like commentary? That,
2: that was commentary. That was. Recorded. Okay. Let's just, yeah.
3: let's just talk about that. Let's just see. Yeah. This is so much fun. So here's, what's his name, kind of couching Goldberg's appearance as some kind of weak attempt to somehow gain media, mainstream media exposure. Why would that be weak? Why would that be unusual? Why would that be anything other than business as usual for a company who's promoting characters in a television show to do something like that on entertainment tonight? Would you, would you pick up the phone and say, uh, who's this entertainment tonight? Oh, you want to talk to book over? Nah, fuck you. Bye. (laughs) That would be weird.
2: Uh, uh, I love this show. Well, Goldberg wasn't done on the mainstream tour because he would make an appearance on QVC. Yes. That QVC. And what he was asked about what he was going to be doing in the future. He said, well, He really doesn't know because they don't tell him anything. And when asked about why Nash shaved him and said, what what, why it's never referred to. He said, they often change things by Thursday for Monday. I just thought that was funny. Uh, Was that happening a lot back then in terms of just things changing creatively that quickly from a Thursday to a Monday? I mean, QVC wants to know what's going on with him, what's next for him. And Goldberg just kind of stumbled, didn't really know how to answer it.
3: Yeah, that was probably more frustration in Bill than anything else. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't true because, yeah, there was a lot of – the wheels were falling off, folks. <laughs> there was a lot of things happening, you know, and changing on a day-to-day basis, uh, including creative, by the way. Not not exclusively creative, but including creative. Um, but, you know, Bill commenting like that, taking what, you know, anybody that was in the industry would have to know was a little bit of a shot at the company probably was an example of the frustration Hmm. we were all feeling.
2: Did Bill not fight Eric for his spot or character, the way other top guys in WCW doing? Oh no, he did. Did he?
3: Okay. He did. Of course he did. Um, not, not so much again, not so much for his spot, right. His positioning. I hate to use the term spot. Not so, you know, Bill, as I said earlier, Bill didn't have that type of personality where he had to be, you know, the world heavyweight champion. Bill was very protective of his character, just like Hogan, just like Paul, just like Nash, just like Shawn Michaels, just like Steve Austin, who, by the way, walked out of a WWE event because he didn't like the creative. When you're at that level and You have that experience. You fight and protect your character. You have to, if you're not going to protect your character, who is, who values your character and its ability to be successful more than you. If you're the talent, nobody, people will tell you they do, but they can't, they can't possibly care more about it than you do. It's your living. It's your life. It's right. You out there. And you have to bear the brunt of its success or failure as a character. And Bill protected his just like everybody else did. Now, it got to be a little more challenging with Bill because Bill Bill would be more emotional sometimes in in expressing the way he felt. And part of that was because he didn't really have the experience to sit down and have an in-depth conversation about why he felt something was wrong. He, he felt like something was wrong in certain situations or that something perhaps didn't fit his character, but he didn't always have the experience, which led to the ability to analyze it and talk about it. So it became emotional more often than not. Mm. Um, again, n- not because Bill was a bad person. He's not. Bill is a very, very good human being and a phenomenal athlete. Um, I mean, and again, I I, I feel like, I really want to put Bill over here because I don't think Bill gets the credit that Bill deserves. You know, when you talk to the internet wrestling community, I would say there's a, it's a mixed bag in terms of respect for Bill. Right. But if you think about it, you know, I gave you the statistics about the odds of someone, you know, making it to the NFL. Those odds are astronomical odds. That's like lottery ticket kind of odds. Mm -hmm. But what are the odds of a guy transitioning into professional wrestling and within an 18-month period of time becoming the number one star in the world, which Bill did, and still wrestling 25 years later for an enormous amount of money? I'm sorry, that's pretty Hall of Fame, that's Hall of Fame shit right there. Absolutely. As an accomplishment. That's amazing to me. Who else has done that? In the storied history of professional wrestling, who else has accomplished what Bill Goldberg has accomplished? Now, you can take shots at him if you, if, if you so choose, Um because of his lack of depth as a performer. Okay. It's a valid criticism. Hasn't changed the fact that he's still performing at a very high level for an amazing amount of money on the largest platform in the world. 25 years freaking later. That's right. Doesn't change anything. Just your opinion. If you value that type of thing as a fan. So I, I think, you know, I think the world of Bill's career I'm friendly with Bill. We're not t- close friends. We call each other on holidays and shit like that. But if I happen to be at a convention or in a restaurant sure. or a hotel or something, and I see Bill, we're going to sit down and have a great conversation and a good time. But, man, do I respect the hell out of his career because nobody else has ever done anything close to it. You could, you, you could argue rock. and you, It would be a fair argument. Um, but you could it's probably debatable. Now rock is going on to become a much, much bigger star, but in that short a period of time, you know, rock didn't even make the NFL. Come on. True. Think about that. All right. Let's get off of that. Bill, that's all the, that's all the putting over. You're going to get from me.
2: <laughs> He's done. He's done. That's it, Bill. But I mean, I, Eric, I got to echo your sentiments as a fan, and there's a lot of fans that feel very strongly about are we done, are we done yet with this guy or this or that or whatever. I get it. everybody's got opinion and we know what the phrase all the phrase goes there. But you cannot argue the point to what you just said that at 55 freaking years old he's still making millions of dollars and getting selling tickets and putting butts in seats as Tony Schiavone would say and and still being a draw and still in tremendous physical condition and you know what? To see the love that he has for his kids, his son, and that whole bond, and how that's come through, man, that's just been cool to see. You see what kind of heart the man has too there through that. So I love that. Well, we're on the Slambury It's in St. Louis, and it's Sting and Goldberg, second from the top, underneath DDP and Kevin Nash. And man, does this match have some controversy? It's reported after all the hoopla about Bret Hart quitting, he came back on orders from Bischoff to do a run-in on Bill Goldberg that appeared to take seconds in planning. To make sure nobody remembered it as anything significant, they had the Steiner brothers follow, beating up Goldberg and Sting after Hart had left. Hart, who was moving slowly and even had trouble getting into the ring, probably won't be ready to wrestle until July at the earliest due to his groin surgery. So bringing him back for no reason made no sense on the surface, although it may have been done to explain Goldberg taking time off since he legit needs knee surgery and has needed it for quite a while. Goldberg was taken to the hospital after the show. It was speculated he had broke a broken ankle, but x-rays later showed that revealed no break. He was wheeled out in a golf cart, uh, in front of the boys and either was in or was acting like he was in a lot of pain. Hart was profusely apologizing and upset, particularly since he's got the rep for never injuring anyone. Apparently he was to jab the chair into Goldberg's leg, but Goldberg lifted his leg while Hart was slamming the chair. So it hit the leg with a lot more force than it was supposed to, or at least that's what the wrestlers were led to believe. And it may even be true. Goldberg was saying that he moved the leg and it wasn't Hart's fault, and his body is simply so worn down and beaten up by all the travel commitments of playing modern day superhero. Although the next day he was saying he wasn't seriously hurt at all. Some in the company, because of how convenient it all was for storyline, were thinking it was all a work on the boys, and some or all of it may have been. Other wrestlers who know Goldberg insist this was one of those weird coincidences where it is something that you'd think they would work the boys on, except this time it wasn't a work. I'm not sure where the timetable. Man, this, uh,
3: <laughs> Let's move on, sure. on to the next one. I, I can't take it. I just can't take it. I don't want to hear much more from Dave Meltzer. I okay. just can't take it. Again, I, a lot going I've, I've on reached, here. I've reached my fucking limit. I never thought this day would come, because I've oftentimes enjoyed shredding that piece of garbage that calls himself age a journalist, but as I'm listening to this garbage, I mean, does guy ever had a thought that he doesn't just put down on, on paper or out on uh, on the internet? What, I mean, it's like he's just gushing random shit. And he, but he, I guess when you promote that you t- t- 10,000 words on every issue, I guess you just got to spew shit in order to meet that quota. I don't know, man. I can't take it anymore. I yeah. can't, I can't follow it. I can't, you're reading shit to me. And I get about, I'm, little, I'm like, okay, I want to respond to this. I'm, I'm going to, hopefully there's something here I can grab a hold of. And it's just a, and maybe it's an idea. Well, some of the people that know bill, well, they're not really sure because it could be a work and I can see why it's work because sometimes guys work other people back. Say the big, fucking blah." Dave, just take a basic creative writing class. Just learn how to write a fucking sentence. Try to figure out a way to get a thought that's ricocheting around and whatever you have of a brain, grab a hold of it and structure said thought in a way that people can comprehend what you're trying to say. Please. All right, I'm over it.
2: All right. Good stuff there. I got to ask you though, there are some folks around this time, Goldberg being one of them that are starting to talk about their contracts and, uh, he's believed to be one of the unhappy campers. And uh, he had several years left on his contract, Eric, which I believe, according to this report, was around $800,000 per year. He attempted to renegotiate it upwards since he's the biggest, he feels, he's the biggest current media star. But it's far below the likes of Hogan Hart, Nash Hall, Savage Sting, others. They're all about a million and a half per year. And he feels it should be at their uh, level. And Bischoff hasn't been accommodating. That's reported by our friend. What was the contract negotiations like with Bill at this point, especially knowing he's going through this injury? Did he deserve the money? Or do you think you were trying to limit the budget here? What, what was going on? Do you remember this at all with Goldberg and the Yeah, and the I, I remember
3: this one vividly, unfortunately. Um, it, it, was a, it was a real problem with Bill. And part of the problem was Bill was right. I mean, he was making a lot less money. Than the aforementioned talent, Hogan, Hall, Nash, whomever, he was. The challenge was on our side, on my side of the equation, was that I was getting crushed by Turner in terms of my budgets, even though our budgets were approved a year in advance. By this time in 1999, Turner would say, I, "I know we approved that budget last year, and I know that you've built your company around that particular budget. But guess what? That's changing now. So I didn't have the flexibility, or the, or, or, or even the ability necessarily to go in and tap my talent budget for something that was not planned. You know, that's the thing about a contract is, you know, from from the employers, I guess, as an employer, as the contract. Um, you have the ability to kind of plan your your year financially because you know what your financial commitments are. And you take somebody like Bill Goldberg, who had a year or two left on his contract at $800,000 a year, which is no insignificant amount of money, especially at that time. It's not insignificant now, but it was even less or, or, or even more significant, I should say, back in 99. Now he wants to take it from eight hundred to $2 million where is that money coming from? How do you do it? When over here, I've got Turner, you know, Turner Broadcasting, head of finance, Vicky Miller saying, uh-uh, no, you don't. If you want to give that guy, and I'm not saying this is the conversation. I never had a conversation with Vicky Miller about it. But if I would have wanted to do that, I would. it would have been Harvey Schiller. I would have gone to Harvey and said, Harvey, I want to give Bill Goldberg another million dollars a year because he deserves it. Because these other guys are making that money. Well, guess what? That million dollars has got to come from somewhere. Where's it coming from? My production budget, my travel budget, um, my marketing budget, which was already hacked and slashed to, to be about a third of what it was what what, what originally budgeted to be. Where's it coming from? And that's one issue. Here's the other issue. If I do that for Bill, and everybody's going to know it, Bill's going to make sure everybody knows it if I get into the habit or I create the precedent better way to say it of going, yeah, I know I've got two years left on your contract, but I'm, you're right, Bill, I'm going to write you a new contract. I better get, I better enjoy doing that because I'm going to be doing it a lot. Now everybody's going to want to rewrite their contract. How do you, how do you operate a business that way? Right now, if things would have been different, if WCW would have been in the same position at this point, ninety nine, as perhaps we were even in ninety eight, or certainly in ninety seven, that's a different conversation. That, I had more flexibility. I had more freedom. I didn't have people, you know, internal finance, you know, hacking and slashing my budget in the middle of the year, and and expecting me to make up for it somehow, some way. You know, I would have been able to do it a year and a half earlier, but in 1999, I didn't. And it was a bloodbath. It was horrible. It was one of the worst negotiations I've ever had. And it was Henry Holmes who also represented Hulk Hogan. Um, that I was negotiating with and it. was, it was horrible.
2: Did he ever finally get to that million and a half? Cause it's reported yep. in that he did. Yes. Yep. Okay.
3: Yep. He did. And it, and it was Harvey Schiller. You know, that had to come in and make it, I couldn't make it happen. I couldn't, I couldn't find the money in my budget. Nobody would approve it. Harvey Schiller had to get it done.
2: There you go. Well, Eric, he's back into the ring for road, wild, go home show at nitro in Boise, Idaho. He's got his money. It features Hulk Hogan's return to the red and yellow Goldberg, just standing there watching it happen. Is, is what, what is, what's the deal here? Is he just a bit player at this point? Do you remember, uh, at this road wild when he first comes back?
3: I, I don't remember the circumstances. You know, I, I remember that road wild, obviously it was our last one. Um, but I don't, I don't remember the circumstance. How long had Bill been back by road? He,
2: he had just come back from the nitro before he gets in the ring. He actually takes on Steiner and he bends him in over five minutes, um, so that's, that, it's a quick return. I think the big emphasis is on the red and yellow return of Hogan at this point.
3: Yeah. I, I, well, obviously that was the case, but I think with bill, cause you know, it sounded like we had a bunch of creative plans all laid out for him. We'd been on hold. We didn't even know bill was going to continue working for us for a long time. So, um, yeah, it would have been, it's not that, oh, let's just put them off to the side. We got him on the team. Now we don't have to worry about playing them. It wasn't that. It was, okay, we've got him on the team. Now we got to figure out what we're going to do.
2: Well, as you said at the top of the show, and we talked about a little bit, you're winding down your time in WCW at this point. Uh, do you remember if there were any long-term plans now that he's got the new contract as far as what to do next with Goldberg? Any thought of putting the title back on him or had that ship sailed?
3: No, I think, no, there was certainly a plan. I, I was in, in, in particularly in light of the fact that, you know, he got, I don't know what his new contract, I think he ended up with about 2 million, didn't he?
2: Yeah, it was right. It was a 1. 1.5 or if not a little bit higher, closer to that 2 million range.
3: Yeah. Um, so at that point Darren DMT, there, there was a, we were, we were thinking about, how, okay, now how do we, how do we justify this? You know, it wouldn't have been a situation uh, where we would have, so, okay, let's give him another million dollars over and above what he's making already, even though we don't have to. Let's go ahead and do that, and then not use him. So I think there was a lot of discussion um, early stages of okay, how do we how do we reposition Bill? That was always that was a challenge. Again, there, there were a lot of challenges with it. You know, not the least of which is how do we kind of recapture the magic that we created initially with Bill, but do it in a different way.
2: Well, you'll be excited to hear this, Eric, because this is the last write-up from the reported news side of things that I'm going to share this episode. But this is the last Nitro you're a part of in 1999, and it takes place in Miami, Florida. Here's the write-up. It says, in a cage match, Hogan and Sting and Goldberg beat Sid and Page and Steiner in four minutes and 24 seconds. Late in the week, they decided to make this a war games match since they traditionally do war games on the September pay-per-views. But they weren't going to do that this year. Unfortunately, they had already sold tickets for a normal as opposed to a two-ring setup, and these kind of changes just can't be made last minute. Here's uh, some commentary. Someday this company will get someone in charge who can plan things out in advance, and they may turn it around. <laughs> Goldberg came... <laughs> I can't make it up. Goldberg came out to his old music and got a huge reaction. First, Bigelow and Canyon jumped Goldberg, so Hogan was getting triple-teamed. Then they threw an injured Goldberg into the cage, but he recovered instantly. The heels took advantage of of it until Sting came out. Luger tried to stop him. Hogan led Jock Page for the pin. Luger yelled at Sting after the match and punched him. Sting started punching back as the show goes off the air. How any of this builds any heat for a Hogan versus Sting match on a pay-per-view in six days is beyond me. That's a heavy knock on you there, Eric. Was this all just last-minute hotshot booking that sometimes would work and sometimes wouldn't?
3: Oh, I don't know that hotshot booking really does work. You know what I mean? I mean, you 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 get a reaction, but that's all you'll get. So I I, I don't I don't think hotshot booking ever works really because it's sh- it's just temporary. There's no there's no build. There's no drive. There's no arc. There's no big payoff. It's just getting a reaction from the crowd, and that might have been what this was for. You know, we're still producing television here. First and foremost, we're producing a good television show. Television was a priority over pay-per-views. Yes, Dave, a television company actually put a priority on the television product over the pay-per-view product. Even though the pay-per-view obviously was a very important line item, it's still a television company, number one. And I think there was probably I I I. I I'll accept that there was um, a desire to do the best we could do in creating a reaction for television as opposed to a build for a pay-per-view. Given the circumstances that WCW was in at that point, working for a television company that puts a priority on television and pretty weak creative.
2: Eric, I got to ask you, a couple questions here as we close down this this week's show on Goldberg 99 do you remember any conversations with bill shortly before you're reassigned
3: you mean fired um <sighs> I
2: was trying to be nice
3: oh i don't mind i don't mind um no you know bill the 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 negotiation put a pretty good strain on our relationship. It it never was the same. You know, Bill and I got along really great when we first started and had a lot of fun together. And we again we are still friends. But at this particular point, it was a very raw relationship. There were still there were still exposed nerves. <laughs> due to the the surgery that you know we did on ourselves and each other to kind of get through that process, I mean, so at this point, no, I I, I wasn't having friendly one on one types of conversations with just about anybody uh, at this point. I mean, I was. This is probably the most miserable at this point. I was the most miserable I've ever been in my entire life,
4: mm.
3: and still to this day. Um, nothing has come close to the way I felt and the way I was living, um, as a result at this particular point. So other mm. than my wife and my kids, there was not a lot of happy talk happening with anybody.
2: Mm. Do you think taking the title off Bill Goldberg at Starcade 1998, set forward a chain of events that led you to leaving WCW or did that have nothing to do with it in your
3: mind? Absolutely nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. I, I, I can't articulate that any more clearly. There's just no connection at all between the two.
2: If there was one thing you could change, and I think maybe you talked about this in terms of his character, what would you change looking back at 1999 on Bill for Bill Goldberg?
3: I mean, I think Bill should have been handled much more Carefully, I, I, I think much more care should have gone in, not that taking the belt off Bill of 98, I wouldn't change that. I would have possibly changed how, how we did it, so that we would have something to fall back on storyline-wise with Bill later on to build up to. And that didn't happen. You know, it's kind of like, okay, we're, we're going to take the, we've gotten as much mileage as we're going to get out of Bill Goldberg, because it, by the way, and this is something that, you know, maybe was reported on or maybe wasn't, but Bill's character was losing a little. There's a reason we took the belt, the belt off bill. It wasn't because we were making money hand over fist with him and he was continuing to grow the audience which is really important when you work for a television company, growing your audience is kind of like what television networks expect you to do, right? And we were we were running on a runway with Bill in 98. That's why. Do you, does anybody think if we'd have been making money hand over fist and we would have been continuing to beat WWE in the ratings the way we had for the previous couple of years, year and a half, whatever it was, you think we just took the belt off Bill because, well, I don't know. What are you doing today? I think I'm going to take the belt off Bill. That That that.
2: feels like the right thing to do right now. Yeah. I know that's
3: what, you know, Dave Meltzer probably thinks, but we were losing steam on Bill in 98. It was time for a change. It was necessary to make a change, but I do think we could have done a much better job, uh, particularly in light of his lack of comfort based on his lack of experience. That should have been contemplated much more carefully.
2: There you go, Eric, let's go to the fan questions. We have three of them, and then we'll close the show down. Frank Conan says, where was the Goldberg and Brett Hart feud going to go before Goldberg got hurt and Brett took time off after Owen's death? So where was that heart? Where was that uh, feud headed? Was it going to go somewhere? Did you have a plan for that? Well, of
3: course it would have, it would have gone somewhere, but here's what I I think the bill, the bill Goldberg, Brett plan had a lot more to do about helping build the confidence and the skill sets that bill needed. And who better to be in the ring with other than Ric Flair, who better to be in the ring with than someone like Brett Hart Mm. to level up your skill sets. That was the primary reason for it. Would it have had a finish? Of course it would have had a finish. Would it have gone somewhere? You know, people on the outside of the wrestling business trying to talk about the wrestling business like they know, like they're in it. Yes, it would have gone somewhere. We would have used him properly. I'm not making fun of you, dude, but we hear this all the time. You know, um, of course it would have gone somewhere. But the primary reason for it was to kind of, you know, Bill was out of college. Now we wanted to get him his PhD. That's the way, I think, is. that's a great way to look at it. Bill Bill had, you know, he got into college without having to pass an ACT or an SAT test. He, he he, He got grandfather right into college and got through college, but now he needed to move on and get his PhD. And that's what Bret Hart was for.
2: It's the same thing when you're playing other sports too. They always say as a kid or whatever, as you are learning the sport, you want to play with people that are better than you are, if you want to get better. So same philosophy, Jimmy D says, how was it navigating Goldberg's evolution? Knowing that his Mike skills were subpar and he had very little charisma. Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> I, I, dare, I dare say, I do not know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, I've I've never heard anybody suggest that Bill Goldberg didn't have any no, charisma. No charisma? Wow. I and you know, as far as his mic skills go, I disagree. You know, I think my I, I think Bill Goldberg has had pretty significant mic skills for a guy that had no training. He's pretty damn good. You heard him with Jay Leno earlier in the show. He speaking and, and getting the audience behind you and entertaining the audience and Because of his charisma was certainly not a challenge for Bill. Now, Bill didn't have the range in his promos, much like he didn't have the range in his skill set. He didn't have the range because he just hadn't been required to. He'd been that guy for this 174 matches. He was a talk, no bullshit, take no prisoners, just get to the fucking ring and inhale some fire, kill somebody and leave. It didn't require a lot of range in his promos. Um, so I, I don't know I, I I I, disagree. I think Bill had great Mike skills given where he was at and what he was asked to do. Um, and I think he just has probably has more charisma than anybody else I've probably met or worked with, you know, other than possibly rock, you know, Flair, Hogan, Austin, those guys are right up there with him, obviously. Uh, or Bill's right up there with them, obviously. But that's a new one.
2: I think the power of Goldberg is in that short, intense delivery. You know what I mean? Uh, accentuate the positives uh, with his mic skills were always intensity and, and says it with authority. So,
3: you know, you, know, you don't get a, paid, but you don't get paid by the word, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. You can get so, your
3: character across all and the, the mic skills. He, he needs two words. Go that's for right. it. <laughs>
2: Francis Reyes did 1999 harm Goldberg's legacy in WCW. Would you go that far, Eric?
3: No, I don't think this? so. I think Bill was such a, I mean, he was such a explosion onto the scene and his journey to the top of the industry was such a rapid and exciting one that that's what people are going to remember. That's, that's what the, they going to remember the shitty stuff. They're going to remember the good stuff. That's his legacy. Mm. not the finger poke of doom.
2: <laughs> Dustin Harris with the final question. We had four in there. Sorry. It was lost in my notes. There's, I mean, there was so much Meltzer garbage in here this week. Dustin Harris. Why the transition away from Goldberg versus NWO to Flair versus NWO in 99? Goldberg just drifted off into the Bam Bam feud and the Georgia Dome fiasco and was never really followed up on.
3: Well, uh, you know, I think we've covered that, you know, throughout the show. There was a lot going on. You you had a contractual dispute in the middle of all that. There there was just a lot of things going on, um, all of them bad simultaneously. So I mean, I, I don't know how to how else to answer that.
2: Eric. Your answer was perfect. Listen, if you want to continue to be able to ask questions here on 83 weeks, I don't know if you heard this or not, Eric, but there's only one way in 2022, and you have to be a member of AdFreeshows.com. Did you hear oh, wow. that? That we're doing yeah. I didn't know that. That's that's oh. new in 2022, buddy. You have to be a member at adfreeshows.com to have your questions asked on all the podcasts this year.
3: That's that's a neat yeah. trick there. I like that one. <laughs> So
2: just another reason, if you're not a member, make sure you go up and sign up for adfreeshows.com. I'm telling you, there's so much value. You get more of EB, not only what he delivers here on 83 weeks, you get his after 83 week show that he does with Christy and Steve Kaufman and all those folks. They have a great time. They have the after show that's only available for the ad free shows crew. I think the last, what, half hour or so of that program, Eric, they yep. open it up to the ad free shows. Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. So you have that you have all the bonus stuff, the stuff that you and Jeff have done together, your mean tweet receipts. Eric fires back. I mean, it's all good stuff, plus everything from JR, Arn Anderson, Kurt Angle, and so much more. So make sure that you sign up in the new year. Make that your new year's resolution. I'm going to become a member of AdFreeshows.com. You can do it at the base level and then grow with us uh and increase your your level as you go. Uh but Eric, what an end to a crazy year. Happy New Year to you, man.
3: Thank you, man. Thank you very much. I hope you and your family have a great one and uh 2022 is going to be a very exciting year already. There's some great things coming down the pike, and I can't wait to talk about them. Can't wait to share them. Can't wait for people to be able to participate in them. So Uh thank you all very, very much. I hope everybody has a really happy new year and and a healthy 2022. Paulie, thank you so much for stepping in and picking up when uh, Conrad's got to be out of town. I always love doing the show with you um, very, very, very grateful. Thank you. Ah,
2: thank you very, it's a privilege for me to be able to do this. I appreciate it. Check out Eric and Jeff Make sure you get your tickets for that big party in St. Louis. You don't want to miss that. Be a VIP and, uh, get your pictures with them and all your stuff signed, uh, guys, that's going to do it for this year. We'll be back in 2022 kicking more ass than ever shutting
0: up and wrestling right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. I hate Steven singer with all the shipping delays and fulfillment issues expected for holidays. Christmas shopping has come earlier than ever. Luckily, Steven is giving every other jeweler out there. Another reason to hate him. Steven singer jewelers has the number one gift this holiday diamond stud earrings. And Steven is fully stocked with the most beautiful best value real diamond studs anywhere. Choose a great pair of Anita diamond stud earrings for under $270. Sound familiar? Well, that's because it's the same price last year. He's not jacking up prices like everyone else. Just the perfect price every single day. No sales, no discounts, no BS. Steven's real diamond studs are flawless to the eye, near colorless, and come with his famous full value lifetime trade-in guarantee. You can trade up your diamond studs anytime and receive exactly what you paid towards a new pair. And with an unbeatable full 100-day 100% money back guarantee, making it no risk for shopping early for holiday. Go now to ihatestevensinger.com always with fast and free shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's ihatestevensinger.com.